0: I talk all the time about the fundamental thing that we do as product managers, the secret product management framework, as I call it, find market problems. We create solutions to those problems, and we take those solutions to market. Another way to think about this is a definition that I've come up with for what is product innovation. And basically, it's solving an important market problem in a new and better way, and then taking it to market effectively. It's another way of thinking about the same concept. Obviously, a fundamental component of this is finding those problems, and so. One of the questions that comes up is, how do you do that? How do you go out and find market problems? And, of course, there's lots of different ways. One of them is you can get feedback from your existing customers if you have them. You and your team might be super creative and have great ideas for solving things and maybe problems you've experienced yourself. You can look at what your competitors are doing. Or even if you don't have a product in a space, you can look at what your future competitors are doing in that space and see if there's something you can do some new and better way. You can also, of course, go out and do direct observation and anthropology, looking at the people in the market that you want to attack and see what they do, notice when they have frustrations, and make a note of that, and then determine if those are real significant problems. But the most common way to find these problems is to actually go out and talk to the market, asking them questions, typically open-ended questions, non-leading questions, about what their problems are. And that's what this episode is about today. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and this is All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, everybody who wants to create innovative products and take them to market. This is episode number 62. I'm glad you're here. In these weird times, I hope you're staying safe and sane and taking care of yourself and your family. You know, I do this podcast from my garage about once a week, but the last four weeks, I've been in this garage about 10 hours a day between remote working and isolation and prepping for the podcast and my other side gigs. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to getting back out into the world once it starts going back to normal. This time has given me a chance to do some deep dives into, well, things like Korean street food videos and watching people play video games on YouTube. And of course, in the new normal of cocktail meetups on Zoom and FaceTime, what new adventures have you gotten into during this isolation event? You know, one more thing I wanted to mention. I know right now the economy is kind of crazy, and I know that product managers and folks who want to become product managers are always on the lookout for that new opportunity anyway. So I'm going to be leading a four-hour live boot camp over four days in May on how to present your best self in interviews, basically how to share powerful stories of your own accomplishments when you're doing job searching, both in interviews and on your resume, and how you can also apply that to product management skills in general. If you're interested in learning more about this boot camp, you can go to alltheresponsibility.com/bootcamp for early bird pricing, or to sign up for my free introductory masterclass webinar on April 24th. It'll be repeated on April 26th as well, so check that out. And without any more delay, let's get into the episode. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Let's talk about market problems. I'm going to talk a little bit about some nomenclature to start out with. I use the term customer and problem for kind of convenience sake, but they're not really customers at the time we talk to them often. They're they're just people in the market, people in your target market if you have a target market. And in fact, it may be very early on in the process. You may just be looking for a problem that exists somewhere. You may not even have a target market yet. Typically, you're going to have a target market, but you may already have a product and you need to find out what other problems your existing customers have. And in that case, they are customers. Or maybe you're going to try to expand the usage of your product out to other segments that are adjacent to your current segment. In that case, they're not yet customers. They're likely to be non-customers, but they're related to the people that you know. So I use the term customer for convenience. Likewise, I use the term problem for convenience. We're looking for market problems, but maybe we're looking for market opportunities, meaning opportunities that the people in the market would like to achieve or accomplish, but they can't because they don't have the right capabilities in a tool or in a product or something like that. Or maybe it's just a desire. I often give the example of the iPod as one of the many hundreds or thousands of solutions that address the desire of humans to have music. Throughout millennia, there have been lots and lots of examples of solutions to this desire of human beings to have music in their lives. That's not really a problem, not to have music in your life. It's just a strong desire. And many products have been very successful and lots of fortunes have been made by people who created better ways to listen to music. Again, problem is a convenience term. You may also be looking for opportunities, or you may be looking for desires, unmet opportunities or unrealized opportunities. Customer might be anyone who uses or might use your product or a product that you might make. And the problem is a problem or it's an unmet need or desire or it's an unrealized opportunity. The challenge is that you can't go out and ask customers, people in the market, what are your problems? Because oftentimes people aren't even reflective enough. And oftentimes the problems that are the best opportunities for you to solve are hidden away in some sense. When you ask them that they'll tell you something, but you probably are not gonna get rich by solving the thing that they tell you about. Instead, you need to guide the conversation to the problem behind the problem, so to speak. This is all about getting our customer to start talking in what we call problem space versus solution space. You know, we and our customers typically are technologists. We love our solutions and we love our gadgets. And those all live in solution space. Those are solutions to problems. But the money is in the problem space in terms of finding a new unsolved problem or a problem that's not solved well, and then eventually creating a solution for it that's superior. Now, not all problems are created equal. Just because you found a problem in the market doesn't mean that you can make a product from it, because some problems aren't actually worth solving. And of course, part of the art of doing this part of product management is to find problems that are worth solving, but that are not well solved today. And of course, that's where the opportunity to create a solution lies. So how do you do this? Well, I gave you already five different ways of doing it, but we're, we're focusing specifically on talking to people. And so what are the techniques of talking to people to find out about market problems? One of the most fundamental is the open-ended question, of course. Open-ended questions are questions that can't be answered yes or no, meaning you can create a conversation based on open-ended questions. The second technique that we're going to talk about is how to direct the conversation as you start to get these answers and how to drill deeper because, as I said, What you're really looking for typically is the problem behind the problem. And there's some techniques for doing this. One of them is the five whys. You might have heard of that. The five whys is a technique that's more of a mental model than really a specific thing that you should do. And there's some reasons for that. But there's a few other ways to drill deeper into those answers as well that I'll share with you as we go along. Now, what does open-ended mean? Well, again, it's questions that can't be answered yes or no. Typically, that's questions that start with who or what or when or where or how or why. So you might say, when are you feeling most frustrated in your job? That's a question that can't be answered yes or no. It only can be answered with some kind of a narrative answer. And then the next technique is to follow up the answer that you get, if assuming it sounds like it's going in an in- interesting direction, with some more drilling down types of questions. Now, one of the things you can do to drill down on that is to say, tell me more. So that just asks the person to continue the narrative. Another way to continue the narrative is, what happens then? So those are two really simple ways to go from a short narrative answer that may be surface level into something potentially deeper. Now You're not always going to get deeper by doing that, but sometimes you do. So some of the types of questions you can ask. What is the most annoying thing you have to do every day? How often do you have to stop the machine for an error? That would obviously be something you'd ask of somebody who uses a machine every day or uses a machine all the time. When is your busiest time in a project? This might be something you'd ask a project manager. Once you've gotten some of these answers, you can start to drill down in other ways aside from tell me more or and then what. For example, maybe you'll just talk to the person about how often their machine has to be stopped for an error. And then you can ask them, oh, well, how does that make you feel? And that's going to give you a different pathway of learning about maybe how important this problem is to the person. Maybe they don't care about stopping the machine every half hour for to fix an error. Maybe that just seems, seems normal to them, or maybe that's better than it used to be. But it might be that they feel really frustrated because they can't get very much done. And so then you would say, oh, well, tell me more about that. <laughs> you can also ask another question. So same initial question, how often do you have to stop the machine for an error? And they might say, well, I have to do it every half an hour. And you might then ask, well, what would happen if you didn't have to do that? So that's another way of exploring the answer. Maybe what the person is saying, well, I have to fix the machine every half an hour to fix an error, and it's getting worse. And then you can ask the follow-up question, oh, well, what's going to happen if you don't fix that? Because that's a situation where it sounds like it's getting worse. Eventually, the person won't be able to do their machine at all. And so that's the type of thing you can do. So these questions, you start with a, with a question to get at some narrative, typically about trying to elicit some problem that the person is suffering from, and then you're going to ask these other drill-down questions to find out more about that problem, to find out how severe the problem is, to find out potentially if they've done anything about solving that problem, to find out how big an impact that problem has on the person, and all these different things. So you're going to use these drill-down questions to get at all of that stuff. Of course, not every one of your conversations is going to end up with you found a great problem to solve and make a lot of money from. Typically, it's going to be you have to have many of these conversations. And over time, you start to detect what I call a weak signal, and you start to hear lots of different related types of answers. And eventually, at some point, across multiple different conversations with multiple different people, you start to come up with a picture of a situation that needs to be solved, that there's not a good solution for already, and that there might potentially be some money to be made in that. And that's really your goal, right, is to find an unsolved problem that's significant enough that people will pay for a solution for it and where there's not a good solution for it already. There is one more little challenge in this whole process that you're going to find. Again, this is part of the challenge of being a technologist, part of it, the challenge of knowing a lot of stuff, like in particular if you're trying to learn new things that you can do for your existing customers, you're already an expert in your product, and it's going to be hard for you not to talk. We like to talk about ourselves. We like to show what we know. We like to talk about our products. But we have to listen. We have to not talk about our products. In fact, even if somebody tells you about a problem that they have that you can solve already with your product, you might not even want to tell them that. You might decide instead, and this is usually the best practice, to continue to drill down on what that problem means to them, what they're trying to do to solve it, how much it's costing them, what their level of emotional pain is. And then at the end, you might be able to say, oh, by the way, I'd love to talk to you about how we have a solution for that. Of course, a lot of times what you're looking for is problems you haven't already solved. A lot of times your product will not solve those things. And that's just the way it is. The key point is you really want to resist talking about yourself and focus on them and keeping them in problem space. One of the things you find when you're doing this is that the market problems are there. But as I mentioned, you have to do a lot of digging or a lot of these types of interviews to find them. They're not easy to find and validate, because if they were easy to find, then somebody would already have found them, of course. And, you know, there may be somebody who found the problem and then partially solved it. That's often the case. There may be products out there that partially solve a problem that you can create a better solution for. There may be products out there that solve an older version of the problem, or maybe that have become obsolete, and there's an opportunity for a new solution to the problem. Maybe you have some technology that you can apply, that will create a better solution to a problem that's already solved by a competitor. But generally speaking, you're really looking for problems that are either new or that for some reason the solutions that are out there are not good enough. Another thing you also want to ask about, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, is one thing you often want to ask about is what have you tried already to solve this problem? Because that then gives you clues about who the competitors are, whether they're any good, whether people have actually tried to solve these problems by building their own solution, which is often a really good indicator that the problem is bad enough that they're willing to spend money on it. The best thing is if they tried to build something and it failed, that's usually good because it says they're willing to spend some money on a solution, but the solution is non-trivial enough that they can't actually build it themselves. And that's often a very good sign that there's a product opportunity. So those are the sorts of things you want to look for. The point of these problems is, you can't see them directly. You often can't ask about them directly. You can only find them by listening and digging and making inferences. It's kind of like you may or may not be old enough to remember the old-fashioned AM radio where you had a tuning dial that you had to turn, and sometimes if you're trying to listen to a station that was pretty far away, you had to be very careful with the tuning dial to get right on to that far away station to get the strongest signal. And that's really what you're trying to do in these types of product discovery activities is figure out how to tune into that weak signal so that you can find that market problem and then eventually go and validate it. So that's finding the finding the market problem right there. Let's talk a little bit about validation though too, because it's great to find market problems and it's great to get some insights into whether they're worth solving, but then you have to actually go do some validation. That typically is going to be the next step after you find the market problems. You're going to want to validate that there's actually a market for them. And there's a few different things you can do related to validation. And one way to think about this is by being able to answer the following five questions. And you'll notice these five questions kind of align with the value proposition template I've talked about in a few other podcast episodes. I'll put a link to some of those shows into the show notes. But basically, you want to know who this product is for. If you were to create this solution, who would buy it? In other words, who's the target market segment? Now, you've been talking to these folks But can you make a list of them? Can you create a way that describes them well enough that you could, for example, create a marketing campaign that reached out to them? Now, obviously, you want to know why they want it and what problem it solves for them. That's one of the things you discovered. But you need to be able to articulate that. It needs to be something that you can say, like when you go and do this marketing program out to this segment, you can say, if you have this problem, we have a solution for it. Now, you're probably not going to make your marketing quite so direct as that, but you want to conceptually be able to do something like that. You do need to understand how they're solving this problem today. I mentioned again that there are certain clues that suggest that if they're trying to solve a problem in a certain way, it indicates that they might be willing to spend some money on a solution like the one that you're going to build for them. So you want to understand how they're solving the problem today, whether they've tried competitors, whether they've tried to build something themselves, whether they're using spreadsheets. You also, of course, have to know what's wrong with that solution. Now, The solution might have failed, and that's kind of good news for you, but it might be that they're using something that just is making them unhappy or is not doing the full story. So you have to understand the weakness of the current solution. And of course, the converse of that, you have to understand why your product will be a better solution for them. Probably want to put a few numbers around all of these things to validate that there's a business case, right? Because it's going to cost you a certain amount to build something, build this solution, and you have to build it. Be confident that you can find people that have the problem, that they are willing to pay some money for a solution, enough money to make for you to make money and make a profit on it, and that you can beat the competitors if there are competitors and all of those things. So those are really a way to think about it, the five questions that you might ask about whether you understand this problem well enough to know whether to move on with building a solution. Now, the other thing you can do, of course, is you can not just ask these questions. You can also do experiments and tests. These are things like what Eric Ries calls the minimum viable product in the book, The Lean Startup. These are tests like a landing page. Can you direct some people to this landing page and gauge their interest in a solution to this problem? Can you pre-sell the solution like you would on a Kickstarter project? So those are the other types of things you'd want to be using for validation. The idea is to not start building a solution, which is a very expensive process, until you're very confident that people will actually buy it. And so there's lots of different techniques for doing that. As I said, the Lean Startup is a great resource for for getting some sense of some of those techniques. doesn't matter how well you answered the five questions that I just laid out or how well you can express the value proposition. The proof is really in the pudding of whether people are willing to put their money down for this thing. The good news is that you can learn a lot more about that by doing tests. That's some of the basic ideas about how to find out if there's a market problem out there that you want to solve. I've been talking a lot in the podcast recently about go-to-market. All of the stuff that we talked about is valuable for go-to-market as well. I thought it would be a good little change-up to talk a little bit about the early part of the product management framework, which is this finding market problems techniques. And so that's what I wanted to share in the episode today. If you like this episode, take a look at the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 62. If you have any questions for me, feel free to drop me a line. You can email me. You can drop a comment on the website. There's all different ways. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast so you get every episode as soon as they're released. If you like this episode, I recommend sharing it with your friends. It shows that you care about them because you're giving them some tools to become better product managers or better product marketers, whatever it might be. And you're helping me out a lot when you do that. So I appreciate it. Until the next episode, this is Nels Davis signing off. Bye-bye. ignition.